from the campus of Stanford University and on location. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast, featuring in-depth, one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Thank you. For our guest today, please welcome Jay Abraham. Jay is an American business executive, conference speaker, and author. Jay's also recognized as one of, if not the, world's greatest marketers. His work in developing strategies for direct response marketing began in the 1970s. In 2000, Forbes listed Jay as one of the top five executive coaches in the United States. For more information, feel free to visit Abraham.com. Again, that is Abraham.com. Jay, I'm honored and really, really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Well, (laughs) reciprocally, I'm honored to be invited. So thank you very much. Jay, you know, as we talked before we got on the show, I wanted to uh, um, kind of segue into the topic that uh, you're going to be addressing, what to do when you don't know what to do. Can you share with me how that came about? Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, a little context on my background is probably in order before I give you the answer. Is that all right? Absolutely. Okay. So my work has been very unique. Uh, I got started when I was very young and I got uh, thrust into what I'll call a transitory business uh, sort of a mode. I was the accidental marketer. I got started at 18, had two kids at 20, uh, no formal education. I'm not saying it good or bad. I love education. My kids all have fabulous ones. But I had to figure out how to fend for myself. And the only jobs I ever got, Tom, were with entrepreneurs who were brilliantly crazy and they would not give me a salary, but it was only a piece of whatever I created. When you only eat when you earn, you quickly figure out what works and what doesn't and what works best. But I jumped around a lot of different jobs, but outside of the same industries, after about seven industries, I realized very quickly people in one industry don't have a clue how people in another industry think, market, strategic models, access vehicles, distribution channels, uh, value creation. And I was able to take elements from very common segments of one industry, combine them with elements from others and, and create hybrids. And my clients ex- exploded. Now I'm telling you that because I've been blessed to have a context of understanding that is very unique. Okay. Now fast forward. I've been growing businesses all over the world for 40 years almost. I have been doing it you know, high tech, low tech, no tech, large, small, you know, everything, Salesforce, <laughs> online, trade shows, everything. And so I have a lot and, and I'm very expensive and I'm not saying that arrogantly, but people don't come to me with little problems. I have to extricate them from Gordian knots. So I've been doing that for so long that it's been sort of commonplace. And this will be the fifth and, and absolutely the worst downturn I've, I've ever uh, endured. But I have a lot of a lot, of, a lot of understanding context and a sort of a cast iron disposition. Okay, so now you've got this topsy-turvy world where 40 million people are out of work and a number of them are becoming uh, un- unintentionally what I call 
forced or accidental entrepreneurs out of economic necessity. You got startups that didn't start up. You got startups that did start, but now they're against the ropes. You got people that are stuck and then you got good companies, but nobody really has a good context of what to do because the, you know, the world is so obscure. And I've got so many people that came to me and I got so many people like yourself who asked me if I could give perspective. And I've given so much that I started thinking, I have perspective that is very, very comforting. I have a, a level, and I'm not trying to be arrogant, it's just clinical. I have a level, I think, of certainty in uncertainty. And if I can share that, it might liberate a lot of people who are reactive. And it might literally expand the paradigms of people who need to shift from from an attitude of victim to more of one being a victor. And that's sort of precipitated. That's a long, protracted explanation. I hope it wasn't too rogue for you. No, it was excellent. I liked it. The uh, All of it, in particular, the level of certainty in uncertainty. Can you share with us what that means to you? Well, it means that, I mean, everything in any environment, there's going to always be things you can't know, you can't predict. I have a friend, for example, who is uh, one of the, the founders of the uh, of the it, it, it was Gold Rat Research. They did uh, what's it called? Constraint theory. Do you know what that is? Not yet. Well, it's a really cool concept. But they 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 run people through these concepts where they have four quadrants: best okay. best case, worst case, best worst, worst. I mean five worst best worst worst. And I learned to think about what can possibly happen in almost any scenario. And if you if you have an understanding of a spectrum and you have hedge strategies, I think every entrepreneur is a hedge investor, whether he or she understands it, and you have the hedge strategies ready, you're not going to necessarily kill it, but you're also not going to get killed. That's my perspective. Okay. And the title, what to do when you don't know what to do. Did that come about just, did you really think about how am I going to word this or did it really just uh, kind of strike you? Well, it struck me one day and I thought, I'll show you ego crumbling, okay? <laughs> I thought, I thought this is so cool. I really nailed it. And then I made the, uh, the ego-destroying, uh, fate-altering uh, mistake of going online and seeing if it existed. And there are 9 million books and there's all these articles but every time I used it, people said, oh, that makes great sense. I love it. So I figured, okay, I'm going to ethically appropriate it for a different application. I'm going to use it to try to give clarity and, and context to people in a whole spectrum of different entrepreneurial environments and give them some certainty in these uncertain times. Yeah, that level of certainty, I noticed the distinction between arrogance and certainty I've I've felt that um, my description is uh, that you're just it's based on your experience and that you have a great understanding, not just a knowledge, but an understanding of how to proceed forward. What's your uh, your thought? Or- yeah, well, I, th- I, I think the biggest the biggest sadness in life is that most people they they, they face the unknown, not really having a context of of reference. If you've been through a near infinite number of scenarios, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's much different. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a good time, 
analogy and I'll bring it to this. So I very much have been in, in the, uh, the advisory role for a lot of times. And, and I've always said there's three or four gradients of, of contribution. There's a coach, there's a mentor, there's a masterful thinking partner. Mm. A coach would ask you in good times, Tom, tell me what you're trying to accomplish. And he or she would reverse engineer it for you. A mentor who had been through a lot more expansive spectrums of business and life would say, Tom, what are you trying to accomplish? And if he or she felt you were underserving either yourself, the business, or the contribution that business could make to the market, they would hold you to a higher standard than you held yourself. A masterful thinking partner is going to take you there and also think about all the implications, including the psychology of being successful, having reversals, all of those things. And now, so now you ask me about uncertainty. Most people don't have enough experience, young ones, particularly entrepreneurs, to really know. And right now they've been caught not just off guard. They've been slammed like in, uh, in UFC to the mat and kicked in the economic groin and they're, and they're, 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 they're shocked and they're, and they're, they're befuddled in, in a very traumatic way. And, and I think if they slow down and I mean, you can't, you can't rewind, but you can reset. And there's all kinds of mental pivots, strategy pivots, uh, you know, uh, self-realization pivots. And if you can get yourself clear, that, that there's a lot of things you can do to enhance probability and outcome. And again, I hope I'm not too abstract. This is terrific. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Jay Abraham. For more information, feel free to visit Jay's website at abraham.com. Again, that's abraham.com. Jay, what is... Uh, you mentioned the word pivot. Uh, I've been thinking as well as kind of a transition because sometimes a pivot means you might pivot really quickly again. Is there a differentiation in your experience between a, a pivot and a transition? Yeah. I mean, if you if you watch a basketball player pivot, it's, it's sort of an arc and it can be a huge arc or a par- partial arc. Uh, I think there's 15 or 20 different elements in a business that you could be pivoting in right now, everywhere from a 180, a, you know, a, a, a 90, a 20. And, and, and it's not one, it's not just one size uh, action fits all. I think you have to break it apart into the sub, like the nuclear components and different elements have to pivot either a little or a lot. Yeah. How about fear? I, I know we're talking some strategies and tactics and mindsets, but how much do you, uh, again, in your experience and even in foresight, do you feel that fear has a, a part in a person's decision or non-decision? Well, I mean, if I say no, I'm lying. Fear is is a toxifier of everything. But I think that, you know, it, it's you, 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 there's there's a, a, a adage that somebody that I, I used to know who's deceased used to say that more is accomplished by movement than ever was accomplished by meditation. And I don't mean to demean meditation, but I think moving forward and making 
lot. I mean, I think you got to learn to be, I'm answering questions you're asking in a different form. So please smack me down and correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. So I believe you've got to master, you know, you got to master an integrative strategic form of, of, of what I'll call forward thinking. Excuse my computer. Uh, number one, you gotta, you gotta be able to understand hindsight, insight, foresight, even though foresight has got to be dynamic because you don't know what's happening. But you also have to become a very, very competent, critical and consequential thinker. You have to think about action, reaction and correlations, implications and even potential anomalies. And I know I'm being a little esoteric, so bring me to concreteness. No, we can work with the ethereal. (laughs) We actually enjoy it. How about... Your clientele, what is there a, a thread that connects all of them other than maybe they obviously they don't know each other? There's there's so many industries. What have you been over 100, 200, maybe more? Uh, well, I've got over a thousand macro, seven thousand one hundred and twenty four sub industries. A lot. OK, so, so is there a uh, when someone comes to you, do they come uh, open hearted, open minded and say, Jay, look, uh, here's as far as I can go or I don't know what to do. Can you can you help me? What is there? uh... Well, people are attracted to me for, I mean, I'm not high tech Jay, but I help a lot of companies that have technology. I come to me because I have mastered. And when I say I, I'm being clinical. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I've mastered the ability to think differently about everything because I can look at it from a vantage point of all kinds of different reference contexts that nobody else who's not experienced a thousand industries and scenarios can do. So they come to me. Because they recognize that I look at things differently. I look at connections. I look at pattern um, uh, references differently. I look at implications. I look at uh, performance elements. I've been trained, Tom, for 40 years to work on the geometry of a business. And by that, I mean that there are, in a revenue system, whether it's a good one, bad one, mediocre one, there may be 15 to 50 different impact points that can be leveraged up in a performance of a business that most people don't even know or think about. And when you work on them, they don't cost you anymore and the risk is actually minimized, but the upside is multiplied tremendously. And I, I'm pretty much known for being the, the guy that understands how to work on the geometry of a business. Yeah. Speaking of the geometry of a business, how about... Well, you, you, how about even a geometry of a country? If a nation approached you, maybe it has happened, maybe it hasn't, where it says, look, here's, here's who we are. We have this many inhabitants. Here's what we're kind of known for. Here's some of our, here's what our natural resources, resources are that at least we're aware of. Would you uh, be able to work with them as well as a nation? Yeah, well, it's a very, very provocative question. I'll give you one of the great heartbreaks of my life, and I'll give you the reason why. So when I was younger, we did very extensive, expensive training programs, and it produced lots of success all over the world. And I have a body of work that just is just clinical. That's expansive because I've done so much. And about five years ago, I was invited to be on what I thought was going to be this incredibly actionable committee for the World Bank. And it was the, the president's advisory committee. And I thought we were going to go to third world countries where uh, men and women entrepreneurs are working their hearts out and making $65 or $100 a month. And I was going to be able to use my body of work freely, just contributing it and teach these people how to make 250 because 
that doubling and a half could transform their lives. And it, it was so uh, constrained and constipated by political and egocentricities that it never happened. And that was a crush to me because I thought that was my big sort of legacy opportunity. It never happened. But yes, I think you can easily do it. I mean, it, the good news is that I, I've been very blessed. I've found universal principles and distinctions and and strategies and concepts that have been, they've been applied to the most sophisticated and the most mundane, the largest and the least. So yeah, I mean, if, if you get people to act, the biggest problem with nonlinear thinking is getting people to believe it. And very honestly, Tom, it, in our high tech world, it's, it's very, very, uh, it's so elegantly simple. It's discounted. I'll, I'll give you a good example. There are a number of people that you know of, and I will not name names because I know and like them, and they teach 10x moonshot, mm. you know, uh, growth. But what, what people don't think about is in order to do that, it requires you to do ARV, all these different things. You got to bring experts in. You got to figure out what your big moonshot project is going to be. You got to spend a ton of money. That money has to either come out of cash flow, borrowing, dilution. And it's usually like building a house takes longer, costs more. When it's done, it doesn't work. You got to rejig it. Then you got to have parallel universes. It takes forever and it's costing you a lot. You're diverting your energy. And I always said, you can take the performance of an existing business and by working on all these geometric growth, you can, you can multiply the growth of the profitability internally for no more money, no more effort, just make everything work harder and harder for you and for your your your, your business, your stakeholders, your 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 marketplace, and that money will go towards funding it. But when I when I teach it, people go, "Oh, it's too simple, not not <sighs> exciting, not high tech enough." <laughs> that some that level of simplicity takes a tremendous amount of time and experience, and. Uh, sometimes downright trauma to make it so simple. At least that's what I believe. What's your, what's your yeah. thought? Well, if you'll let me, because I think showing uh, demonstrable examples probably will help you see. Go for it. So, I mean, I learned, I learned about the geometry of business in stages. And I haven't talked about this for a long time, so I'm going to omit and forget a lot of my own principles because they do naturally <laughs> now. So the first thing I learned was that there's three ways to grow any business. People think there's a million. You increase the number of buyers, you increase the size of the transaction, you increase the frequency or the utility value of a transaction. If you just work on one of them, and most people, Tom, spend all their time, money, effort on the acquisition, whereas the other two cost nothing and can double, triple, redouble, not just the transactional profit, but the residual profit. But people don't see that you can do all that for no more time or effort. So that was the first thing I learned. Then I learned that most people focus 90% of their revenue generation on one primary source. When if you add multiple sources, not only do you leverage up the impact to the market, but if each source produces five, 10, 15% more, the combination of the, all that is not five or 10, it's hundreds of percent more yield. Same thing with the three way. I learned then that there's nine drivers that are very simple. You change any one of them of your business, it changes the results, change your marketing, change your strategy, change your business model, change how you use your capital or capital equivalents. I got to remember, change your ideology, you change your <laughs> process systems, change your products and services. Any one of those will change the performance of your business, cost you no more. And I can go on and on because I got me, I went, I just kept evolving this, but none of those cost more, but they are so 
elegantly simple that people are looking for this new complex biomedically engineered drug that they discount elegant simplicity. Elegant simplicity. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Jay Abraham, and we're going to give a uh, recognition to the Red Cross. The Red Cross, uh, the American Red Cross prevents and alleviates human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilizing the power of volunteers and the generosity of donors. For more information, go to redcross.org. That's redcross.org. And that is uh, on recommendation of Jay Abraham. So thank, thank you. you very much no, for thank that. Thank you very much. I'm sure they will yes. thank you too. Jay, if we could go back to the elegant simplicity. Yep. Can you uh, elaborate a bit on that? Sure. <laughs> elegant so, simplicity. Yeah. Well, let me, give, let me give you a context that it, 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 this is going to, you're going to be incredulous with, uh, with, an, with an epiphany when I give this to you, Tom, you ready? Ready. So in the course of my work, which is, again, it's a 40-year journey, so it's not as if I discovered all this uh, yesterday. It's, it's a, it's, I'm a crock cook, not a, not a uh, flash-seared person, okay? okay. <laughs> so one of the real great distinctions that I learned in all these different ways to grow a business is that almost any business that you deal with, large or small, if they provide any level of perceived value to their audience generates anywhere from 10 to 100% of their revenue from referrals or word of mouth. They do. And I've, I've proven this in large groups, small groups, sophisticated, mundane groups, localized, nationalized groups. And if you ask the owners to tell you if they have, well, I'll tell you the process because it's visual. When I'm at a seminar, I'll ask who can say 10 to 100% comes from referral word of mouth. Half the audience stands up. I make them stand up and I random, I randomly pick 10 or 15. I say, well, tell me the percentage in the dollars annually. And it's fascinating. 20%, 300,000, 80%, 5 million, 100%, a million, uh, 50%, 10 million. Then I'll say remain standing only if you have in place at least one, Tom, one formalized, systematized, constantly adhered to referral generating strategy and system that you and your team adheres to every time there's an interaction. 95% sit down. Then I'll say two strategies. 95% of the 5% sit down. Three, all of them sit down. We've, we've, we've worked with so many industries. We've uncovered 150 different referral generating systems and strategies, 99% require no time, no effort, but they turn everybody you ever deal with and people that don't buy from you into sources 24-7. But now let me go one more level. Then I'll say, okay, presume I'm a deluded optimist because I believe that a <laughs> referral generated buyer buys quicker, negotiates less, buys more, buys more often, buys longer and as more enjoyable to deal with refers more people, cost you nothing. Am I right? Huh? Then I say, okay, all of you who sat down, stand up again and tell me if you spend any money on anything, Facebook, trade show exhibits, when you can go to trade shows, webinars, whatever they are, almost everyone do. And I'll say, well, do you understand that that is generating the outer periphery of, of trust building? And you have to work really hard to get from sort of trust 
to serious trust, to committed trust, to transactional trust, to retrust, whereas a referral-generated buyer has already got 100% trust, or they wouldn't come to you. And I just try to say, what's wrong with this picture? But I've got that kind of a logic on dozens or maybe hundreds of things like that. So I don't know if that helps. Oh, that's no, absolutely. Jay, what really moves you and motivates you? Like, oh, let's put it this way. How, what would really sing to your heart where you would feel really, really happy that people, uh, I guess in mass or in a vast majority, understand what it is you're trying to show them about them, the best in themselves? I will give you three or four aggregate sort of a, a, of a compound answer. May I? Absolutely. Of course. Most, you <laughs> most are, no, most are noble and one is self selfish. So I started not because I wanted to make money, but I saw all these really uh, superior contributors who were working their hearts out and, and they were getting a fraction of the F the yield, a fraction of the impact, a fraction of the result, a fraction of the distinction for their superiority. And I was driven to help them because I thought they were better people than their, uh, for what they were trying to do, how they were trying to do it, who they were trying to do it for than everybody else. And I wanted to be their advocate. And that started me. And that was a driver and it still is. You may or may not know, I created a concept called the strategy of preeminence, which is elevating. Absolutely, you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I got all things like that. Then I realized that, that, I mean, if you have if you have a passion and you're trying to do something above and beyond the level of your generic competitors, you owe it to yourself to get the most out of it for yourself, for your stakeholders, and for all the people you could help. Because if you're getting a better service, you're denying them. It's a disservice to them for them not to deal with you. It's a disservice if you've got an alternative reality that's different than the, the current options. But if you can't get that message and that realization into their head, they're being deserved. They're getting a lesser outcome. And then the last one is selfish. My career has been obsessed with trying to help larger corporations who have all these wonderful moving parts that I could leverage. But I've done mid and smaller because those entrepreneurs get it easier than the bureaucratic, politicalized big ones. So there's my answer. Yeah, that's a great one. Jay, well, we can go. I can go on for hours, literally. But what would you like to share with your audience today? Because it is your audience that we may not have touched on. That's 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 important to you. Well, I mean, uh, I, I've got a lot of distinctions. Let me think of something that would be that would be not profound, but would haunt them positively in a way <laughs> that that would be useful. So, I guess uh, a couple of things that th- there's a quote that I. I've been uh, mesmerized by since I first heard it, Socrates. Socrates said, and I'll give you a couple of different different quotes. Socrates said that a life unexamined is a life not worth living. And I believe that a business that is not examined and reexamined on every kind of tangible and intangible performance element constantly isn't worth owning or running or being a part of because you're underperforming your potential in the market's benefit. That's just, that's the next thing. There's another quote I like. Most people in business struggle with a non-verbalized question. Am I worthy of this goal? Can I be, you know, successful in a, a crisis riddled downturn? Can I, you know, can I uh, sustain my business 
against all the online onslaught from around the world. Can I do this? But when you realize how much more is possible from and for the same time, the same effort, the same opportunity cost, the same capital or capital equivalents, the same intellectual capital, the same access to the market, the same interaction, the same relationships, the same distribution channels or alternatives. The question is not, am I worthy of this goal? It's, is this goal worthy of me? And I like those kind of reframes, if that makes sense. Say that last one again. Is this goal, did I get it correct? Is this goal worthy of me? Yeah, because you can do so much more. And 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 what people, people that know me or know of me know that I believe that there's no such, can't talk. I believe, Tom, there's no such thing as a resource impaired entrepreneur. We've done billions of dollars for companies using other P- OPR, other people's resources, access, uh, distribution, sales, brand, uh, uh, infrastructure, equipment. And if you understand how your problem is always the, 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 the solution to somebody's bigger. Let me give you one example. And if we have to stop, we can stop. No, there. keep so continue. I got many examples, but I'll give you two that are sort of cool. Many years ago, I used to go to China all the time when we had better relations and I was uh, very, very intrigued. And I used to help them with nonlinear thinking because most, I mean, most Asiatic markets and most, uh, and most Latin markets, their education is rote, which means memorization. If you say, what's, uh, what's 100 divided by 20 plus 7 divided by 47 minus 3 square rooted, you'll get an answer. But if you look at correlations and, and um, uh, correlative thinking, if you say this is to that, they don't have the ability to think strategically. And I was able to teach it. I was at one of these. This is a very cool story. I was at one of these years ago, and a young man came to the mic through translation and said, Jay, what do you do if you're too small for the bank to lend you money, but you want to grow? And I said, well, tell me more. He goes, I have a local motorcycle manufacturer, and only in a country that's got 100 million population city would you be a local motorcycle manufacturer. And he said, if I had the money, I'd like to go all over Asia and set up a manufacturing plant and, and, and get distribution and retailers. And I said, okay. So what's the problem? He goes, I told you, I, I don't have, they won't give me the money. I said, you don't need the money. You need to realize that you are the solution to someone's bigger problem that doesn't know they have it yet. Go all over Asia and find somebody in a parallel universe who's already got equipment, distribution, manufacturing, but is only utilizing it. They're underutilizing their capacity, their put throughput, their relationships and make a deal with them. And that took me what? Uh, I think I, a minute, minute and a half. So I came back a year later and the same young man is there and he comes to the mic again and he's smiling like the Cheshire cat. And it's all through translation. So it's really funny because it's very slow. And he goes, I did what you said, Jay. And I answer questions, solve problems, help mine opportunities all day long, all over the world. I don't remember anything I say. I've got the memory of a gnat. So I said, what did I say? And he told me, I said, well, what did you do? He said, I, I went to... KL, Kuala Lumpur, I found Asia's largest lawnmower manufacturer. They had a huge factory. They weren't even utilizing second shift 50%. We made a deal. I had to bring the tool and the dies. They provided the people. They already had thousands of distributors. They also had sales forces. They had offices. He said the first year together, net, net, we both made $10 million. Well, I can do that kind of stuff all day long, but it's a different way of thinking. (sighs) 
Uh, that's just awesome. Jay, again, I'm so happy and honored to have you on the show. Really am. And I hope you consider coming back sometime. Yeah, this is fun. I, I hope I added value. Too. Yeah, of course you did. This is this is terrific. Um, you've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Jay Abraham. Jay is recognized around the world as one of the greatest business executives of uh, kind of our time. He's as well. Uh, he's also a conference speaker and author of uh, a number of books. Forbes listed him as, I like this one, Forbes listed him as one of the top five executive coaches in the U.S. I'm sure it will stand at 2020 and beyond. But for more information, feel free to visit Abraham.com. Again, that is Abraham.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or super high-performance game changer committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and outcomes. I'm Tom Dioro. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game-changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dior. The Entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The Chief Audio Engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Chief Engineer is Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao and the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.